Welcome to Paranormal Heart, a place where people can talk about their paranormal experiences. With your host, Cat Ward. Hello, everyone. I'm Kat Ward, and I'd like to welcome you to Paranormal Heart Podcast. I really appreciate you spending your precious time with me and my guest tonight. In episode 97, I am joined by world-renowned author, paranormal consultant, empath, and lecturer specializing in hauntings and the afterlife. She has also been a nurse for the last 20 years, most of which has been in the end-of-life care, management, and geriatrics. Lynn talks about how her special abilities and being a nurse helps her to understand the afterlife and help people and their families to transition from this life onto the next. If you'd like to share your encounters on the show, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an audio recording of your encounter, you can write it for me to narrate, or we can record our conversation together, whatever you feel comfortable with. If you have questions, comments, or just want to say hello, drop me an email at paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd really love to hear from you. And if you enjoy the show, please like, share, subscribe, and leave a comment. Tell your friends. Don't keep it to yourself. Tell the world about Paranormal Heart Podcast. You can tell them that new episodes are released on the second and last Sunday of each month at 5 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can find me on Podbean, YouTube, KPNL Digital Network on Thursday nights, and any place you find fine podcasts. Now... On with the show. Hello, Lynn. Welcome to Paranormal Heart. Thank you. I'm so thrilled to be here. I'm excited to have you as well. We have a few mutual friends. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And they're great ones. Oh, that they are. (laughs) Yes. So for those who don't know you, can you tell us a little bit about your your background? Yes, um, I, I... Uh, I'm a world-renowned author. I have several books out, um, some most having to do with paranormal, both a little bit of the dark side and a book that I just recently released called Colors of Heaven, which is about um, the act of dying, death itself, and, and some about the afterlife, which is a very beautiful story that I wrote hoping to take the stigma of death and dying away. Um, that That is out. Um, I have a, a fourth book that I've... Uh, written for some therapists that have asked me to write for teenagers called The Gap, What Else Your your Adolescent and Teen Needs to Know. And it kind of picks up where the birds and the bees leave off and human trafficking starts and that gap wow. in the middle of everything from, you know, not wearing stinky sneakers on your first date because it's not attractive no matter how cute you are to what to do if a condom breaks. So there's that gamut in there. Since we have kids that are, you know, becoming active that way much earlier than then, um, well, we won't go there, but, uh, yeah, much earlier than, than, uh, they might be. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. So I've got that book out, um, also, but, um, I, I've had gifts ever since I was a child. Um, I've had some profound moments. I grew up a few blocks, um, short behind a three blocks behind a hospital that had a nursing home, uh, connected to it. So we got used to seeing my siblings and I got used to seeing spirits, 
walking through the house, um, even though it was something that was not supported by my family. Um, it just, you know, back, I was born in 1963. So back in the 60s, you just, yeah, the Joe, it was all about what the Joneses thought. And you definitely didn't want that sort of thing to get out and be labeled as the weirdos. So, yep. you know, and, and, and also, you know, you'd actually have men come with white coats on and they would haul you off and do lobotomies. Time went on, traditional religion played a part to also dampen my my gifts um, even more. I don't know how much detail you want me to go into with, with some Whatever of this stuff. Whatever you feel comfortable with. Okay, because I didn't know if you wanted me to tell the story that I shared with you before about um, uh, my first... Um, sighting. But um, yeah, I I, um, I had been able to see things for ever since I was uh, little. I did have a, a very profound incident um, or occur when I was about five years old. I was in my parents' master bedroom with my brother and I was getting dressed, dolled up in my mother's jewelry, jewelry box. And my brother was playing with cars on the floor. And um, we both uh, my brother was fixated on on the room, the corner of the room where there was this misting that kind of was filling the corner of the room. And so I looked to see what he was looking at. And at that time, his very best friend, John, stepped into the mist. His mother, father, brother stepped into the mist. And they were just kind of standing in the mist, smiling at us. And so we both ran out of the bedroom to find our mother. And of course, he found my mom first. And he was telling her that his friend John was here and she was like, well, I, you know, I didn't even hear anybody knock. And then he mentioned that they were in their, her bedroom. And of course she's like, who let them in my bedroom? <laughs> you know what? They're in my bedroom. So they rushed into the bedroom and of course there was um, nothing there. And, and uh, my mother let my brother know that she didn't appreciate being interrupted from what it was, was that she was very busy doing and so it kind of happened there. Um, that that particular incident just so happened to be right up against the time that the kids were returning to school from after what we call spring break. And in Canada, they call it March break. And um, my brother was on the bus riding to school and his friend John was not there. And when he got to the classroom, John was also not there. And it just so happened that right after they um, had the announcements and we do the Pledge of Allegiance here, um, the teacher stood in the front of the class and stated that um, John and his family had perished in an auto accident the day before and he would not, of course, be returning to school. And it happened the day that my brother and I saw John coming in, in, in the mist in my parents' bedroom. So things started early. Um, at about 10 years old, I was still seeing things. Um, I was born and raised Presbyterian. Um, we were still seeing things in the house. And lo and behold, um, usually it's your mom that has the gifts. But in my case, my father was the one with the gifts. But of course, he didn't really talk about it that much. Um, and again, because of the reasons of, you know, you didn't want to be cuckoo. Yep. So I <laughs> consider that. But um, my mother then took a jaunt with the Jehovah's Witnesses when I was about 10, and I was brought in front of the elders. The elders are similar to the minister or priest or the people that make decisions within the religion. And I'm, I was told things as a child. I mean, I was petrified standing in front of all of these men um, that were telling me all the things that were wrong with me, that I was possessed, that you know, that my, what I was seeing was demons and, and all of these things that were going to happen to me if I continued to pursue this route. 
So I became afraid of my gifts and I would run out of the room just as fast as anybody else would when I'd see a spirit in the room, even though I still continued to see them. Even if it was somebody like my great grandmother, I would still run out of the room thinking that it was a demon just as fast as anybody else. So coming forward um, as a single mother, I wanted to provide a better home for my my two children at the time. I've had three. I had a third one after this um, this occurrence. And I ended up buying a house um, in East Flat Rock, North Carolina, that was so haunted that I was never able to move into the house. Um, I had I bought it in in March. I owned it for eight months trying to have renovations done on it. I couldn't keep workers in there to do renovations on it. However, the fourth guy, the third guy was a friend of mine's cousin. So I got to find out what was happening in the house and why they weren't staying. My, the fourth one was stoned all the time. So he carried, he carried his own crew with them. And so the demons did seem to bother him and he went ahead and he did finish the work. And um, for anybody that's wondering, yes, I did sell the house. I did try to tell the uh, people that were that purchased the house that there was an issue with it because an incident did occur um, while we were in the house together where the wife was pushed on the stairs. Um, there were two demons and a young man in the house that had hung himself. That was verified by a next door neighbor. But just to come back to the woman that got shoved on the stairs, when we went, when we came out, there was double door entry. When we came out the double door entry, I asked them, I said, um, do you believe in ghosts? And they immediately cut me off and said, nope, we are Baptist. We don't talk about those sorts of things. We don't entertain that sort of thing. And we're protected. And I would have told them the truth if I had been given the opportunity mm-hmm. because I did not want to have done to me. I mean, done to I didn't want to do to somebody else what had been done to me. So um, when that occurred, I was able to connect with people of like mind and that kind of reopened everything for me where I was able to support my gifts, um, you know, and, and, and be able to start helping people. So, um, yep, that, that's kind of where all of my gifts started. That's amazing. And it's, it, it always saddens me to find out when children have abilities that they don't have the support from their family. It always it really saddens me. I don't think it's as bad today because it's a little bit more... Um, I don't want to say mainstream, but, uh, you know, with all the TV shows now, the paranormal and uh, people's abilities seem to be uh, more accepted as the, you know, compared to years ago. So um, did your brother, does your brother have abilities too? Or was that the first time he saw? No, my, my, all of my siblings had abilities. We mm-hmm. all did. My father, we, I guess, you know, we inherited whatever from my father or, whatever, uh, you know, and we didn't even find out that he was the one that we got our abilities from until much later in life when he had a near-death experience that he shared um, with with me at, at uh, one point. I, I'll be happy to, to share that with you Please, if you'd yes, like. Yes. yes. My, my father was a um, very, very difficult man. He was a raging alcoholic. He was physically abusive. Um, he was a very intelligent man, but he was a very, very difficult man. And he had... Um, gone to his doctor for his yearly physical and they were looking into his eyes and noticed that a vessel in one of his eyes was bulging. And that is in, that was indicative of a clot occluding one of the major vessels somewhere. So they immediately sent him across the street to the hospital to have some tests run to find out 
where the clot was, how bad it was, and if they had time to um, to shrink it mm-hmm. so that it wouldn't cause a stroke. And it just so happened that it was a large clot. It was heading. It would. They said that it, he would have died within within eight to seventeen hours from the point that if he had not gone to the hospital. So they literally had to do surgery and surgically remove the clot out of his, uh, he had a huge scar on his neck. They went in through that vessel in order to pull the clot out. And when he went into the recovery room, he remembers waking up and he felt this voice come over him. Um, As the nurse was standing there, she was putting a morphine push for pain into his IV. And the voice said to him, no, don't take that. And he immediately verbalized it to the nurse. He said, no, stop. I don't want that. And she says, what? This is your pain medicine. You don't want it. And he said, everything went black. It was too late. She had already pushed it through and everything just went black. He said that he felt himself coming out of his body. He said that he floated up towards the ceiling that he remembers even turning over at one part, seeing the crash carts coming in seeing that, you know, seeing them starting to compress. He then remembers turning around and going into this this tunnel that he said was dark, but there were like more stars than there were in the sky just glistening all in this 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 area that he was floating upward and that it was very comforting and warm and loving. And he didn't feel afraid. He, you know, he remembers feeling that there were other spirits also in the distance that were kind of also you know, coming up through whatever um, he was. And he actually got to the other side. And he said that when he was there, he was able to be six places simultaneously. So he was able to be with me. He had six children. Uh, One had already passed away. My youngest sister, Robin, had been um, murdered by a jealous boyfriend at age 20. And she was already on the other side when this happened. And he briefly got to see her. He didn't get to speak to her, but he did get to see her because the way that natural deaths are, which most of us have, um, sudden deaths and near-death experiences are all handled differently on the other side. So when he went to the other side, he was placed with each one of his children and his new wife that he had just married six months earlier from Russia. And of course, it was five of his children because one had already passed over the sixth person. And he was telling me about how he could be equally with each one fully. He even told me about the shirt that I had on the day that he was standing next to me. It was this pastel striped shirt that was my favorite shirt. And he had never seen it. I was in a different state. He had never seen it before. And he described what I had on. And and it was, it, it was, what he said was exactly like that shirt. He was given a brief period where he did some of his life review, gave him actually the choice because we have different periods during our lifetime where we have exits if we really, really want to go. And I think that there's like four or five of them, but you have to use those exits. You can't pick one another time. And, And of course, suicide is something that is you know, not in one of those ranges. And of course, it's it's other than, you know, suicide that is medically assisted because the death is already coming. Suicide is highly, highly frowned on. It's it's not it 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 adversely affects not only our lives, but also the the rippling effect on the other side 
of people, children waiting to come in, people that are, you know, down the road 20 years from then are supposed to meet up with you to create something or meet a goal together. And when you exit early, all of those contracts that you've made, agreements that you've made with those people, they don't get to do that. So it does. That's the first time I've ever heard that. That's amazing. Yes, it it creates an adverse effect. Like I said, not only here with the suffering, and the and the you know the pain that it causes with the loved ones, but it does cause a rippling effect for long term rippling effect on the other side as well, and that's why it's not. And again, I'm not talking about assisted suicide where the death is already coming, and also um, people with mental illness or maybe that have committed suicide accidentally with an accidental overdose. That is also viewed differently. However, somebody that commits suicide out of spite, you know, to get even with a parent or a boyfriend or a girlfriend, you know, just in that fleeting moment type thing, um, that that is definitely uh, frowned, you know, frowned upon. But anyway, my father, with the little bit of the re- the life review that he came back with, came back from, when he came back, um, he, rem- oh, he remembers them giving him a choice of whether he wanted to stay or come back. And he knew in that moment that each of his children here on earth would be okay if he decided to cross over. However, his new wife didn't even know how to drive. She didn't know how to balance a checkbook here. So he realized that he needed to come back and get things in order for her mm-hmm. And so he remembers coming back into his body and feeling the weight of his body and the pain of his body. And he did get to briefly see my sister, but they didn't communicate. He said that she was just standing there, beautiful, smiling at him because they they communicate telepathically um, there. And because he wasn't staying, um, he didn't get to click in uh, with getting the opportunity to visit with her. However, when he came back, he was a changed man. He, after seeing his life review and all of the people that he had hurt with his drinking and with his abusive ways and his actions, he stopped drinking immediately. And he became this very, very humble, sweet, sweet man. He apologized. He apologized to his children, to his ex-wives, to people that he bullied in school. I mean, he tried, he went the gamut of trying to get a hold of people just to say, I'm sorry, because he realized what he had done. He had made mention that when you go through your life review, that you're actually put in the shoes of the person that you've, you've insulted or hurt or, 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 or even that you've done something wonderful for. You get that feel good, you know, when you've done something nice for someone out of a selfless act of kindness. Um, but he was making mention, you know, that you that if you hit somebody, you get to feel that 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 pain that you're inflicting on somebody or the words that you use that are terrible of how it, it makes someone feel. And not only that, but the rippling effect that it causes in the person's life, you know, that, that maybe it, it, that the, the verbalization stuck to, and they became, you know, even involved in drugs or alcohol themselves because of the, the insecurity that it left or whatever, because of the, the awful thing that was said. But um, when he came back, he did, he made amends. He, lived another 10 years until he was 93 years old. 
he, um, he, and he was this very, very totally changed man, totally changed man, very, very humble, very sweet man by the time he did actually cross over. So it is very, very important, your actions. Um, there's a, there's a um, author that I love uh, to read his books, Danny and Brinkley. He's an American author that a lot of people have heard about. And he's written several books about near-death experience. And his most recent near-death experience, because he's had a couple of them, he made mention, people were noticing that when he came back, he was hugging people a lot. And, and people were starting to, Danny, you know, you've become such a hugger. Why, you know, you, you're just hugging. He says, oh, I'm not hugging you. I'm hugging me. Because I feel the hug come back to me and the feel good feeling of that hug. Yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of a good analogy of how that works. You know, a lot of times people too, you know, they, they, they go along in life and they're like, Oh, well, I'm a good person. You know, I pay my taxes. I go to church. I donate money to the so-and-so, but it's, it's, those are good things to do, but those are not the kind selfless acts that, well, the donation thing would, but you, the selfless things that you give from your heart, like getting the box of kittens and animals count too. They do cross over. We do see our babies on the other side. And don't be surprised. You might see some that you didn't remember that you had from way before. You might even get an elephant coming up to you. Oh. But um, yeah, but like getting a box of kittens off the side of the road or puppies and getting them to a safe place counts. Um a person that is delivering pizzas, giving them an extra $20, you know, because not because you had to, but it's a selfless thing when you're giving that extra, because you just don't know if that's a single mother busting her butt to pay her electric bill, mm -hmm. you know, and that kindness that comes back to you. And, and, and in the little old lady that is, can't mow her grass anymore and she can't afford to pay anybody because of her medicine to go over and help her with her lawn for her. Those are the kinds of things that really, 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 really count. Those selfless, loving, kind acts that people do for others um, are the things that count on the other side. So yeah, um, he shared that life experience, that near-death experience with me after what I had gone through with my house. Mm -hmm. And he said, he told me, he says, I haven't shared this with anybody, but I know after what you went through that you'll believe me. And it was a beautiful story that he shared, and it and it made it made a big difference for me. I know that. So That's a special yeah. thing for him to share with you. Yes, yes, it was. Now, if you yes. don't mind my asking, if you don't want to take this direction, that's that's fine. Just let me know. But do you mm -hmm. think that perhaps um, his drinking was because of the abilities that he had and growing up that there you're not supposed to have those? So he's trying to make those abilities go away. I do. I do. You know, and also it seems like those of us that are on the earth at this time, I feel um, a lot of us have incarnated. We have not reincarnated. There are some reincarnations here, but a lot of us have incarnated. You have incarnated. I can tell you that because I think we come from the same thing. I have incarnated. When you incarnate, you have come to a point of learning that you can choose to come back or not. So when you incarnate, you have come in for a purpose to serve and to help. These people are the light anchors and light bearers that hold the light, um, even in the darkness, to, to lighten the, the dark corners. And, and, and a lot of us 
go through difficult lifetimes um, because the dark wants to dub out the light, if that makes sense. It does, yep. So with my father, you know, he grew up during the Depression. And I mean, even shoes, he'd have a pair of shoes that fit him like clown shoes. And by the end of the year, his toes were sticking through the front. His parents divorced. He was forced to breastfeed until he was four years old because they couldn't afford food. And his father was a drunk that would shoot bullets through their clothes in the closet. Yeah. And then his parents got divorced and his mother again got with a town drunk who was a taxi driver that they'd have to call her up and say, come and get Earl. He's falling asleep at the red light again. So my father um, lied about his age and went to the, the armed forces early. Um, and he served in World War II. He was a paramedic. Um, he was a paratrooper paramedic. So he would wow. jump out of the planes to the battlefield to assist those that are wounded That's on the amazing. ground. Yeah. So he did. And he, like I said, he was a very intelligent man. He was he was a math professor. He had started out as a as a science chemistry professor and didn't like having to stay after school cleaning the bottles. So he went back to school and got his degree in mathematics. So he was a brilliantly intelligent man, but the anger that he had be in the drinking, you know, being around, you know, the coping skills that he learned was because all of the people around him were, were drinking that were important in his life. And he was not supported. I mean, he had a crazy grandmother that would show him devil pictures when he was two years old and tell him if he wet the bed that the devil was going to get him. Oh, so he, my. yeah, so he would get up at two years old and go crawl in the bathtub and sleep at night in the bathtub just so that oh. he would be by the toilet. And I mean, two year olds still wet the bed sometimes, you know, even four year olds yeah. do sometimes, you know, and that's, it's not a bad, you know, it's not a bad, it means that something's wrong with them. But back in the day, you know, um, that was, but I do believe that part of his coping skills was the alcohol, but he wasn't a happy drunk. And there was a period of time too, where the house that we grew up in was haunted. Um, same house that we saw, um, little, um, John in, Mm -hmm. but of course, when, when you see ghosts coming through your house, it's considered haunted, but there was a point where, things got a little bit darker and my father's eyes, when he would get into raging arguments with my mother, his eyes would turn black. So that alcohol would leave him open to attachments or possessions during those times. And he would become very violent. So, and it was, I mean, totally black. His eyes would, would go. And sometimes his voice would even change. So that was not him. No, it was not him. And In one of my books, I've written on that topic about addiction and how the addiction, um, a lot of times there are what I call archon type attachments on people with addictions. They appear like spiders, crabs, or almost reptilian. Um, The lizard type one has sometimes a curled tail that attaches at the hip, or it will have no tail, but it will have a human looking buttocks. Um, the thing that's very, very distinct about them is that their the head is much smaller than the body, kind of like the opposite of an infant with a big head, little body, or an alien with a big head, little body. They have smaller heads with the bigger body, and they fit like backpacks. Um, their heads are 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 unique in the sense that they have kind of a human face, but they have this fin that starts at the top of their head and connects at the base. And it's not 
rigid like a, a dolphin. It's floppy. So when they, they, it, sometimes when they turn their head, that, that flap will kind of come over their face. And I say this because what I've learned and what I have seen is that um, sometimes when people have cleared up their addiction, they've, they've overcome their alcohol, that Archon never completely leaves their field. It will detach, but it stays. And it usually hovers on the ceiling areas. It will jump from corner to corner lengthwise on, on ceilings. It usually doesn't come below about three feet from the ceiling. It kind of stays that way. And I know this because my brother had a reptilian looking archon. He had gone through alcohol addiction and crack cocaine addiction. He overcame his addiction, but every single time he and his wife would plan to come and visit, that thing would have preceded him in my house. I would see it come in my house. My children would see it come in the house and say, did you see the lizard thing on the ceiling? Uncle Ray must be coming. Oh, wow. Lo and behold, yes, I kid you not. Lo and behold, within two days, we get a call. Hey, we're coming up this weekend. And when he would get there, it would disappear. And when he would leave, it would disappear. But I also had seen it in his home when I had stayed in his home for a visit for a couple of nights. That thing was there. And it, it they stay close because they want to have the opportunity to reattach. You know, they, they and that's why it's so hard to overcome addiction that way, because that constant like whispering you know, that waiting for you to trip up just so that, I mean, they have a good thing going, you Any know, point of weakness at all. They're just waiting that crack in the windshield. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. They are. And the thing is, is that they feed off of the chaos and the negativity and the sorrow and the drama that the addiction and the addicted person creates because of the addiction. They feed on that negativity and so that's why they, they stay. They, of course, they want to get back on if they've got a good thing going. So I really, really commend people that have overcome their addiction. It's very, very hard. Um, I've actually helped people understand. Recently, there was a, a guy that had been battling a drug problem forever. And he says, I just can't beat it. And he was telling me about this. This He was sleeping and he woke up and he noticed the spider looking thing. And he thought that it was like a guide or something that was alien or something that was there watching over him. And I said, wait a minute, what did it look like? And he started to describe it. And I said, oh, no. I said, listen, I've never met you before in my life, but I'm going to ask you something and I don't want you to be offended. Do you have any kind of like an alcohol or drug addiction? He says, yes. Yes. How did you know? And I said, that is not your friend. That is an archon. And I explained to him what it was. And now that he realizes what it what it is, he's been able to overcome his problem because he realizes that that was more of the problem than he himself, but that he couldn't allow those cracks to be in the in the, you know, in his windshield, so to speak. Not that he had to be perfect, but he could turn and say no. You know, she could tell it. Um, no, I've also been able to go into um, I had gone back to school to further my degree as a nurse. I also have a degree in biological science, but I had gone Smart back to cookie. further my. Yeah, well, thank you. I had gone back to further my degree as a nurse. And of course, I had to do a rotation through the psychiatric ward of the hospital. Well, it wasn't the hospital it was a psychiatric ward, but it was connected to a hospital. And 
eight nurses and our teacher went into this one area that was like an intake area. So this was where they were newly bringing in people with schizophrenia, people with that were high on drugs. They were combative. We actually had to sign papers with the hospital that we wouldn't hold them responsible if we had something hurled at us or we got hit or, you know, grabbed by somebody. And um, there was this young girl. We were waiting for the teacher to get our our assignments. And um, there was this young girl. And she walked over and she pointed at me and she said, you can help me. I know you can. And of course, I'm like, you know, I'm looking over my shoulder. I'm like, and please, please don't. I hope she's not talking to me. I just want to be Lynn, the nurse today. I don't want to be Lynn, the weirdo that pulls attachments off of people and can see things. So um, the teacher then came and said, don't make eye contact. And she ushered us out. And I'm like, shoo, you know, good on that one. But I got reassigned to that area with one other nurse. So we went back into the area. I was sitting, they had picnic tables that were bolted to the floor. Um, And I was sitting at one of the picnic tables doing my charting. And the young woman came over and sat down next to me. And she started telling, the other nurse was with me. She was right across the, the table from me, was telling us her story about how she had been Um, raped and molested by the pastor in her church at a very early age. I think it was like 10 or 12. Then her mother remarried at age 14 and her stepfather was raping and molesting her that she ran away from home when she was 16 going on 17 and got into devil worship and felt that that wasn't, you know, the right way to go for her either. And she said, now she hears 25 different voices. Well, she was sitting next to me. She had on a, a tank top with real thin spaghetti straps so I could see her skin on her shoulders. And this, this young woman was covered in claw marks, covered, I mean, coming out of her nose, in her ear, on her back, on her arms. And she was saying that the 20, that the voices, the 25 different voices, that one of them had a long claw and fingernail that was actually scratching her on the inside of her female parts. And the nurses and the doctors were accusing her of doing this to herself. But I'm telling you, there were areas on her back that would have been impossible for her to reach herself. And there were single claw marks. I had seen these single claw marks before on a friend of mine in that first house that I bought that had the the two demons and the young man that had hung himself She was clawed to the point of bleeding standing next to me in that kitchen on her back and on her stomach. So I recognized the claw marks on the young woman. So these are claw marks that you could plainly see, anybody could see, not just you and your abilities. Okay. Yes. Anybody could see the claw marks on this girl. And that's why they were claiming, the medical staff was claiming that she was doing them to herself. And they were like single claw marks. They look like a cat scratch. Mm -hmm. Um, like one single one, a few places, there were a couple of them together, but mostly they were the single ones. And um, so I'm looking at her and I'm like, oh my God, that, that woman's got claw marks on her, you know, um, she, you know, from, from something demonic or something very, very dark. And the thing was, is that she was then called away to go have her meeting with her mental health psychiatrist or therapist or somebody And as she got up to walk away um, with my gift of second sight, which is what I call it, 
with my ability to see people that have crossed over in spirits and things like that. When she got up to walk away from me, she literally had two. They, they were the size of standard size pillowcases. It looked like one over each shoulder and they were clear and they looked like they were heads. They were clustered together like grapes and a lot of them were inverted. So the mouth was on the top and the eyeballs were on the bottom and they, they look like misshapen potatoes because, of course, you know, they're, there's no bone or anything to them. But you could tell that they had features on them of the eyes and the mouth and, and a no, like opening for a nose. And when she got up to walk away, I'm like, oh, my God, that poor woman, she really is hearing 25 different voices. She's got attachments on her back. And um, when she returned... Of course, you know, I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, you know, I've, I'm going through a divorce. I didn't feel strong enough. I hadn't done anything to protect myself either, you know, before stepping into that. I mean, because it was just something that happened all of a sudden that I wanted, you know, I didn't, feel, you know, I didn't feel that I would be capable of helping this person at that time. And so I went to her room. I knocked on her door. I came in and I told her, I said, listen. You've got attachments on your back. I said, what I'm going to, well, first I prefaced it with, I said, what I'm going to tell you is going to sound crazy. <laughs> and if you tell anybody that I told you, they're going to think you're crazy. I said, so, and they're going to keep you here longer. I said, but when you get out of here, you need to go and find someone that can remove the attachments that are on your back. They had a horn type thing that was attached at the top of the shoulder, like a, like a C, only, well, more like a G because then it hooked in under the armpit mm -hmm. and it looked like a, kind of like a horn, like the consistency of a horn type thing. And it was clasped on there holding these bags. And when she turned and I told her, I said, you need to find a priest. You need to find a religious person that can help you get these off of, of you. I said, you really are hearing 25 voices and again, if you tell anybody they're going to keep you here longer, once you get out of here and you get this taken care of, you will, you know, you will feel better. So when she turned, something just overwhelming came over me and told me just to take my fingers underneath each of those horn things and just lift, lift them off. So I did. And they came off very, very easily, but they started to separate and fall to the floor. And I'm trying to stomp them into the ground. They were like rolling off. And she had a few clustered around her bed area, too. And I told her, I said, listen, I've managed to take some of these off. I did not get all of them. They are off of you, but they're around your things. They can reattach. I said, but you need to have somebody get the rest of this off of you. And she said, it felt like you were pulling grass off of my back. Wow. When I was doing it, she didn't even know what I was doing. And she said, it felt like grass was being like grass patches, like I was... Mm -hmm you know, pulling off grass patches as I pulled off the things. I was surprised that they came off as easily as they did. And I was shocked that I was even able to do it, you know, and, and I, you know, I didn't want anything following me home, of course, and nothing did. Yeah. So I, I felt that I just felt that that spiritual intervention just come through me at that point. And I, I couldn't help but not help this woman get those off. Lo and behold, about a year later, I'm in Walmart. I'm in the candle section. I'm looking for some candles. And these two women are at the end of the aisle in Walmart. And they're, 
shoes. And they're looking at me and I'm like, God, do I have toilet paper stuck on my shoe? <laughs> you know, is my zipper down? You know, what, 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 what are you looking at? And then I thought, well, maybe they recognize me and I've read one of my books or something. And I hear the one girl saying to the other one, I know that's her. And I thought, oh, well, they're going to, they, you know, they, they must have read one of my books. So she comes over and I'm looking at her and she looks kind of familiar, but I wasn't sure where I could place her. And she said to me, she said, do you remember me? And I'm looking at her and I'm like, you know, you look familiar to me. Please forgive me. I, I, she says, you're the nurse. You're the nurse that helped me. And it all came together. And I'm like, oh, my God. I got shivers. The, oh, yes, wow. It's amazing. Here, here this woman was. She had lost weight. She had this beautiful little blonde bob, looked completely different. And she told me, she said, I went and found someone to help me after I talked to you. And she said, and now I'm off all of my schizophrenic medication and I'm only taking something for anxiety. She was actively in school to become a um, hygienist, a dental hygienist. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. And I felt, I just, you know, I, I was just so thrilled that it helped her. But to back up, to when I saw her with those attachments on, I started walking around the facility and could actually pick out the ones, some of them, you know, not all of them, but a lot of them that had schizophrenia versus addiction because I started seeing the attachments on their backs. I've recently um, touched base with Dr. It's, it's Mar Marvinsky, Marvinsky. He's a doctor, a psychiatrist out of Arizona. We have a meeting coming up because I'm talking with him about the schizophrenic thing. He has tried to, um, he's got a book out. He's also tried to help with schizophrenia without medication because people with schizophrenia learn that the voices are inside of their head. The voices are not coming from inside of their head. They're being whispered into their ears. And when they can start to have that separation and understand, they're able to manage the schizophrenia better without medication according to the studies that he's done, that young woman just, I mean, I couldn't believe it. She looked amazing. She just didn't even look the same. And she was so thankful. I, I hugged her, you know, and I'm like, I'm so proud of you. You know, you're doing so well. And she's like, that means so much to me. But um, I've been able to do that with my gift of second sight too on, on, and, and that is, that's also in my second book that I've, that I've written about with mental illness and, and addiction in there as well. Is that something that you just see with everyone or do you have to concentrate and actually look for these things? You know, it's when it started, I, it would just sometimes happen and sometimes not. I had no control over mm -hmm. it. Now when I look, I call it, I call it look like it's my word for it, but somebody recently mentioned that it was called second sight. I can see them most of the time. On a rare occasion, I can't, but that's because either the person is not ready to have me help them or they're not ready to accept what I have to tell them. So sometimes they're cloaked or masked a little bit. Mm -hmm. But I can see them if I look with that second sight. The same way as I can see angels and loved ones um, in my profession, uh, as I said, a nurse 30 plus years, 17 of that has been an end of life care where I've actually helped people cross over um, and I've actually seen their loved ones come in to collect them and, and all of that sort of thing, which I could tell you some beautiful stories about. I, 
I uh, wrote the book um, Colors of Heaven, which is the lighter side of paranormal, um, because I saw my mother come out of her body when she passed away. And it was such a beautiful thing. And also working in that field, seeing hundreds and hundreds of people pass away and the beauty to it and the consistencies with it that that people um, miss completely because of their grieving and their loss and also their opportunity to tap in with the other side that they are not even aware of that they can do when that person is transitioning. And um, yeah, I, um, I have a story if I could share with you. Um, Please, yes. I, I had a patient who was blind. She was totally blind. She'd been blind for 10 years, couldn't even see shadows. In my book, I call her Edna. Edna Edna had only been on my unit for a couple of weeks. I didn't know her that well. I worked the weekends. And her son and daughter come to the nurse's station and say to me, mom's talking to people in the room that aren't there. Well, a lot of times when people are starting to transition, it can even happen a, a year before, and they start seeing loved ones, their parents maybe, loved ones that come from the other side that have passed away. And and the medical field sees it as hallucinations, and then they treat them with medication for hallucinations. It's not hallucinations, people. They're really seeing their loved ones. I guarantee it, um, they they are. So so I said to the the son and the daughter, and I said, well, you know, um, let me come down. To your, to your mom's room to see if I can make her more comfortable in any way or see if she needs anything. So I walked with them. We walked into the room. She was sitting slanted with her bed with some oxygen on, which we always do to help with cramps and things like that in the legs. And she was reaching up into the sky like she was, it was something fragile that she, like so, something very delicate because she was just so gently reaching for it. And she was just smiling so happy with whatever it was that she was reaching for. And I said to her, I said, Edna, I said, who's here? And she said, George, just very matter of factly pops out George and her daughter turned as white as a sheet. She had to sit down. She said, George is my father. She said, my father died X amount of years ago. And that's my dad. Then Edna says, and he's glad that you're taking good care of Pixie. Well, Pixie was her poodle. When George died and Edna was blind, Pixie was taken over by the son. Pixie was a very old dog, but still very much alive. And the son speaks up and he says, well, I had Pixie. Pixie's my mother's dog. And he told me then the story of, the, you know, how he was, you know, taken, had taken responsibility. And he said, do you think my mom's hallucinating? And you just can't come out in the medical profession and say, yeah. no, I don't think that your mom's hallucinating. I think your dad's here. Yeah. You know, you, you might hear her talking about her mother and other people that are coming to. You might even hear her talking about some people in the room that she doesn't recognize, but she will once she crosses over because maybe they're people that she's known from before, you know, type thing. And, um, and I said to him, I said, so, um, well, well, do you think she's hallucinating? I always put that question back to kind of see where they're coming from, you know, what point yeah. of view. And he said, well, I don't know. And I said, well, let me try something. He said, try and change the belief system, but there is a period of time when I believe that the loved ones come in 
Um, when the person transitioning, they can hear the telepathy, which is how they communicate on the other side, as well as they can hear the speech of the embodied humans. And so they can kind of, you know, um, answer questions even from the other side. I didn't tell them that part, but I just said they, they do hear the other side and they, they are able to see them. I said, so let me just try something. I said, Edna, can I ask George something? And she nodded her head. Yes. And I said, George, what color is your son's shirt? And he said, and Edna said, yellow. Well, keep in mind that she's, she's totally blind. blind. Yeah. yeah. Hasn't seen shadows, nothing. And so the, the, the son got it in that moment. The daughter was still sitting there as white as a sheep, but the son said, hi, dad. He got it in that moment. And, you know, a lot of times people miss that period of time where they can communicate with the other side themselves because the person transitioning can hear the telepathy and they can verbalize the answers. However, it has to be one at a time. The spirit that you want to ask the question needs to be in the room. You can send a spirit to go get a spirit. Mm -hmm. You know, if mom's there and you want to talk to dad, you can ask her to go get him. If he's able to come, he will. Then you can ask him that question. But a lot of times, you know, people, they don't realize that they can do that. And you know, how many times have you heard a person say, oh, I just wish that I could tell so-and-so that I love them one more time, or I wish, you know, that I could say that I'm sorry or ask, you know, Uncle Jeff what he did with, with, with the box of coins. This is your chance. This is your time that you can ask, and you will very much, very likely get an answer to your question through the person that's transitioning because they can relay it to you. And so, you know, a lot of people do miss that period of time because of the grieving and, and, and the loss. And a lot of times, too, you know, people, they see they, they, they become afraid of having a spirit in the room with them, the dead person, the woo-woo, yep. you know, so they, they run off and they get the nurse to bring the meds because they want the person to stop talking about the dead Uncle Joe in the corner. You know, and, and most of the time, these people are talking about other people that the family knows, it's not like they're talking about pink elephants. A lot of times it is a relative that they also have met at some point during their, their you know, the, this lifetime that has crossed over. So, and once in a while it is somebody unfamiliar, but again, when the person transition, transitions over, it's not. When, when my mother um, passed away, my mother had cancer. She had decided not to go through any more treatment and um, so she had a year of time and we checked off her bucket list. We had lasagna every week and she ate it. She loved it. And we went and we visited our friends and we went back to some places and took her camping for the first time in her life. She had never been camping and she wanted to do the camping. So we took her and, um, it, you know, we were doing all of these things. So um, we, we also did the picture exchange and she wrote on the back some of the relatives that I didn't recognize so we would be able to pass them on and know who they were and the recipe thing, you know, with that dash and pinch to get the flavor just yeah. right so that we could have mom at Christmas, you know, her dishes. And uh, when her time came to pass, I was the only one there. My brother was trying to get there at that time but didn't make it. And I think that it was kind of meant to be that way. Um, my mother was in hospice. I was sitting in a recliner next to her chair and my mother, even though she could no longer open her eyes and verbalize, she was still responding by moving her eyebrows and attempting to mouth words. 
and it was appropriate. It wasn't random. Uh, somebody would come in the room and they'd say, hello, Phyllis, and she would, mm-hmm. d- she would respond with the mouthing and the eyebrow thing. And um, people, a lot of times when they're transitioning, sometimes they'll leave their body even a day before. Their body actually stops breathing. Sometimes they choose to stay embodied until the very last minute. My mother was one of those that chose to stay in the very last minute. So um, when, uh, when I was sitting in the room with her, I was sitting in a recliner on the opposite side of the door, and the, there was a wall there, and I see this misting on the wall that was similar to what I had seen with John in that house and also the misting in that haunted house too. But um, it, there was the misting, and I could see movement. And every once in a while, I'd see like a pant leg stick out or a shoulder, and yes, people, they do show up in clothes, Nobody wants to see mom naked. So it would be a shock if everybody greets you in heaven naked because you'd be like, you know, not wanting to look at anybody. It's like, please put something on. So, um, but they do show up in clothes. And a lot of times they show up in what they were buried in or what you remember them in most. Sometimes they'll show up in what they passed in. Um, I just want to mention this part. Um, There are souls that have the opportunity to choose to cross over or not. And when they choose to stay here, those are usually the ones that end up haunting places. Um, a lot of times um, they stay here for different reasons. If we have a little bit of extra time, I'll tell you about Dapper Dan, but I want to go forward with my mom's story first, yes, yes. Um, if possible. So so as we're sitting there on the end towards my mother's head, it started to efface, it started to open. And in the opening, my grand, my mother's mother walks in, my grandmother, we called her grandma girl. And she had her little 1970s tight curly perm and her leisure suit on that she had made for herself. And she even presented with glasses. And I I was surprised with that, you know, that she would even present with glasses. And I'm like, she looked, she looked the exact same is what I remember her, you know, looking. And she came over to the side of um, the other side of my mom's bed. And my mom was, of course, sitting up at an angle as well. And she started to stroke the inside of my mother's forearm. And she leaned forward to my mother and said something in my mother's ear. And my mother started doing the mouthing thing and the the eyebrow thing. And my grandmother kind of came away. And then my grandmother leaned forward again. This happened like three times. And then I see this frantic wave behind my grandmother's head. And it was my beautiful sister, Robin, who I'd mentioned had been murdered at age 20. And she came around from the crowd and I felt her embrace me. I felt her beautiful long hair falling over my face. I could smell her perfume. It filled the room. She wore an unusual perfume back in the 80s called Latisse that wasn't common. And it just filled the room with her scent. And I felt her essence. I felt her close to me and and the embrace. And when she went to go back around the entire wall had effaced it all of the, the 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 misting was gone and there were hundreds of people in there I mean there were people that even I recognized from this lifetime that I had known you know grandparents and great-grandparents and cousins and stuff like that that were on the other side and I said to my mom I got up I kissed her cheek and I said mom grandma and Robert are here to take you home, it's time for you to go. And of course she mouthed and she did the eyebrow thing at me. And within about 10 minutes, she took her last breath. In the process of that, I'm sitting in this recliner and I'm feeling all of this 
love and elation coming at me from that other side. I mean, it's, it's a feeling that we're, there's no words that we have that can describe this, this feeling. And there's no feeling that we have that can touch it. And you can't help but sit there and smile. So I'm sitting there grinning, feeling all of this love and elation coming um, from, from the other side. I'm peering into the other side. Um, the atmosphere was like, there was no light source, but it was like the 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 atmosphere itself emitted the light, if if that can even be understood that way. Um, it, it, the lighting was perfect, and there are colors over there that we don't have here that you would need a couple of color wheels for. And it's not just they're not just colors. When you look at these colors, you you engage with them, and you almost feel the essence of them pulsing almost and they're like almost like living colors they're not just colors they're 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 beautiful they're just um i, I can't explain and in and in the distance i re remember seeing this this table with kind of a flowing tablecloth on and of course i remember thinking oh well there's no food but of course you know they don't eat there which is something funny i'll tell you too that my mom told me after she had passed away she kind of came through she comes through every once in a while like uh, like a megaphone she when she has something to say but um so I'm then noticing towards the head of my mom's bed, there are a whole group of these spirits that are huddling around like in a football huddle, but they were double layered, like a peony flower almost, like petals. And, and all of a sudden, when they started to open, my mother was standing in the center. It was like they were trying to stabilize her spiritual feet. Um, and one by one, all of these people that had come were coming up to her and were, you know, greeting her. And she was she was so happy. I mean, she was just beaming. She was beautiful. I never grieved my mother's loss because I got to see where she went and how happy she was. And I knew that it wouldn't be the last time that I ever saw her again. And she's still very much around me. But one by one, these beautiful souls approached my mother and then. They, the, the room kind of thinned out a little bit. And the thing about it is, too, is it wasn't just there were these beautiful angelic looking beings with wings. There were people I, I recognized from this lifetime. There were also people that I didn't recognize, but my mother did. You know, she recognized them. But there were also these other beings that were very tall. They looked to be on the level of angels, but they didn't have wings but they were gorgeous i mean i don't know even if they were male or female it didn't matter they were just beautiful and their heads like kind of skimmed on the the tall ceiling that's how how big they were how tall they were and after the room had thinned out my mother my grandmother's mother i mean my my mother my grandmother and my sister stayed with my mother to help usher her out along with like five of these beings that kind of trailed behind and as they left, they kind of filed out on my left-hand side, and each one kind of made contact with my head, and it felt tingly. Now, the way that I see spirits is I can see them as plain as I see you in my peripheral vision. I can tell you what they have on. I can tell you how their hair is styled. You know, I can tell you even if they have jewelry on. When they come straight on, to, and I can see them at a distance also. When I see them at a distance, it's like looking at a plate glass window 
that you're walking up, like at the mall, when you're walking up to go into a store and you see your own reflection, mm -hmm. that you know, that's how they appear to me, like that reflection appears when you see yourself. But when they get closer to me, I can sometimes see a bottom half, but usually I see this waffling to the air, kind of like um, vapors out of a gas can or hot, steamy vapors off of a road, that waffling, mm -hmm. that energetic waffling. And um, um, I just want to say this too. Some of those beings looked like they were from somewhere else. And I say this because with every star, there supposedly is could be a solar system, or at least there is a solar system. And they have planets like ours. And I'm sure that there are other beings in other solar systems like us, maybe more advanced, some of them maybe not as advanced, and other sorts of beings. So, you know, energy, if you want to talk about it from a scientific standpoint, energy cannot be created or destroyed. We are all energy. When we leave our bodies, we have to go somewhere when we're finished with wherever we're at. So some of these beings also looked to be beautiful beings from, from not like anything from here, you know, not, not, um, it just, you know, they, they seem to be from somewhere, somewhere else maybe. But, um, so anybody, you know, that's in the UFO kind of thing or that sort of thing. Yes. It's all connected. It is all connected that way. Um, there are, you know, those sorts of things on the other side too, but, um, they, they went ahead and they filed out past me and I'll never, ever forget that. And like I said, I never grieved my mother because she's not, not, um, gone from me. I've had so many experiences in my nursing field with patients that have seen that sort of thing prior to, um, their passing. I'd be happy to share some more with you if we have time. Yeah, we have, we've, we've gone an hour already, but because it's going so well, I'd like to keep going if you, if you okay, can. Okay, I, I would love to. Girl, yeah. I can go. Okay. <laughs> I, had, I had a patient, just to bring this home for people, I had a patient named Abigail. She came to the facility that I was working for. Um, it had three levels of care. It had the independent, assisted, and skilled. I worked in the skilled unit. She and her husband came to the facility because her husband's health was failing. And um, she just so happened to slip and fall and fracture her hip and ended up on my unit. So I got to know her. We built up a rapport. She was just this, I loved this lady. One day I came in, she was upset. And she said to me, she said, Lynn, she said, do you think I'm crazy? And I was teasing her a little bit because we had that rapport and I said, define crazy, you know? <laughs> you know, and so... And, uh, and she says, no, no, no. She says, I mean, like crazy, crazy. I'm like, well, no, you know, why, why would you say something like that? You know, um, she said, well, I see my parents. She said, and I know that my parents have been gone for many, many years. I know that they're deceased. She said, and it makes me happy when I see them. But because I'm seeing my parents, the doctors are putting me on medication for hallucinations and you know, and she was upset about it. And I told her, I said, well, you know, I heard that you're going to be discharged in the morning back to your apartment. I was the night shift nurse. And I said, and as your advocate, you can refuse to take that medication. As long as you're of sound mind and your power of attorney is on board with you, they can't make you take it. She was happy That's with that. That's good to know. Yes, it's true. Um, and she left and went, she was discharged home. 
about six months later, her health started to decline drastically. She ended up on my unit again. This time, in addition to seeing her parents, she's now seeing this woman that would come with a little girl. The dining room to her room to give to the little girl, and this was creating a bug problem, so we had to stop her from, from doing that. Um, but it, that's how real they were to her, um, the, these, this woman and this little girl. So one day, a friend of mine needed the day off, so I traded with her, and I went ahead and I worked her day shift for her, and I was on the unit, and I was after lunch. All of the residents had been placed back into their rooms, and I'm going down the hallway to start my treatments. And I'm passing Abigail's room, and as I'm passing, she's sitting in a recliner. There was a big picture window with the air conditioner underneath, like the American hotels have. I'm sure the Canadian ones are the same way, with the big air conditioners underneath. Yep. And she was in a recliner off to the side, and she's leaning forward with this yellow piece of butterscotch-wrapped candy. And she was trying to hand it to the little girl in front of her. And anybody else that would have crossed by, it would have looked like she was trying to feed the air conditioner. But <laughs> so, but I'm crossing by, and I see this, and I'm like, oh, you know, Abigail's got, got get, you know, people visiting today. I thought it was wonderful, you know. And then I'm like, hey, wait a minute. I don't remember those people signing in at the nurse's station and everybody has to sign in at the nurse's station because if there's an emergency, we have to call the fire department. They have to have a head count to know how many people to get out of the building. So I'd gone about three or four steps forward, just past her door. And I'm like, kind of step back, knock on her door frame. And she invites me in and I come in and there's nothing there, but I can see that waffling to the air shimmer type thing. Yeah, yes, yeah. like that. So I knew the spirits were still present. And she said to me, I see, since not, okay, my daughter was just signaling to me for something. I'm sorry. That's okay. So, so she said to me, she said, I want you to meet my friends. Isn't the little girl beautiful? And I said, yes, she is. And I mean, she just about flew out of her chair. She came forward and she's looking. She says, can you see them? And I said, Yes. And she said, she said, don't tell anybody. She (laughs) says, they'll think you're crazy and put you on medication. So here this woman had the wherewithal to know the difference. Here she was now heavily medicated for hallucinations, didn't stop what she was seeing because they weren't hallucinations. And she had the wherewithal to know the difference. And she, she did cross over, uh, you know, about a month or so later. And we had one more beautiful meeting there, but I'm going to move forward with a few things. I also had a patient that had Alzheimer's and I had been at the facility for seven years. So I remember this lady before when she was up walking around talking. Um, and for three years, she had not said one word, not one, one word at all. And she was tooling around in her wheelchair with her feet she comes and she stops in front of the nurse's station. And, you know, and I'm like, oh, well, there's Shirley. She's just looking at something. And I turned my back to go into the back. I was pulling my charts, getting ready for my med pass. And all of a sudden, I hear this woman's voice going, take me home. Take me home. Please, please take me home. And I come out. I'm looking down the hallway to see who it is. And I don't hear them anymore. So I assumed that one of the CNAs or another nurse stepped into whoever it was that needed the assistance. And so I turn around 
I start to walk back and I hear again, take me home, take me home, please, please take me home. I turn around and it's Shirley. And I'm like, I mean, I was shocked because I hadn't heard her voice in three years. And I, I walked over to her and I patted her arm and I said, Miss Shirley, I said, who are you talking to? Who is it that you want to have take you home? And where she was facing, there was, it was straight down a hallway. The first door on the right, we had a patient that was actively passing. And, and Shirley points down the hallway and she says, look at the angels. Aren't they beautiful? Do you see the angels? And then she continued on, take me home, take me home. Well, of course, I looked down and at first I didn't see anything. But then I looked again and I could see this woman's loved ones bulging through the wall and angels bulging in, into the hallway that were coming to collect the lady and help her cross over. And that's what Shirley was seeing. Shirley herself passed away about three months after that. So she was in that, in that realm, but even, even she recognized, you know, the angels. And so people, you know, they have questions about loved ones and things like that coming in and they do. And, you know, you can learn so much from a person that is actively passing when they're in that transition state, they do a, a they do a, um, a stage of what we call rallying as nurses, where there are periods of time that you'll go into their room and their eyes are kind of glazed over not completely shut and their toes are kind of floppy and then all of a sudden their toes will perk and their eyes will brighten up and they'll start talking about the other side they'll start talking about seeing children that haven't been born they'll start talking about seeing people um and they'll have a loose you know lucid moment um where they can enjoy their family sometimes you know this happens and um that i've been into patients rooms where the patients have actually been talking about children. I have, uh, this is this is kind of funny. I had a patient, I was in the room and her daughter was in the room. And the mother says, there's a little boy in here calling me grandma. And her daughter, I call her Susan. Susan said, well, I'm an only child and I've never been married and I don't have a boyfriend and I'm in menopause. So I don't know why you'd be seeing a little boy here calling you grandma. I mean, Susan was probably like 49 years old. And so she says, no, there's a little boy here calling me grandma and he looks just like you. And of course, Susan got a laugh about it. Well, lo and behold, Susan that day goes to our lounge to get some, uh, get a snack. Um, and she runs into this gentleman whose wife has just passed away. He's in there waiting for his family to arrive because they're on their way there. And, um, they just filled up a rapport as friends, platonic, you know, they kind of supported each other. Cause then her mom passed away. They kind of supported each other for about a year. And then he asked her out and she went out with him and they ended up getting married six months later. And lo and behold, about six, you know, six months after that, Susan kind of started to feel a little bit funny and, you know, she, went to the doctor. I mean, pregnancy was the farthest thing on her mind. You know, she, she was in menopause and figured that there's no way, you know, that it could be and turned out she was pregnant. Wow. And yes. And she, she had that baby. Um, she was like almost like 51 years old when she had the baby, the baby was fine. It was a little boy. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did get to see them because 
Then she had another family member come in and she had the little boy with her and he did look just like her too. So it was, it was funny, but, um, you know, how beautiful that was that this woman, the mother was seeing the child that wasn't born. I had, um, a second one that was an aunt, it was an aunt and a niece. And again, I was in the room and I'm hearing this conversation and the aunt saying to the niece, when are you going to have those baby girls? I want to see those baby girls before I go home to Jesus. And her niece was like in her middle forties. And she said, well, I've been trying, you know, for 25 years to have, uh, you know, a, a baby and I can't have children. Mm-hmm. You know, I think Aunt Emma, I call her in the book. I can't use their real names. And she said, but it's nice. And she said, no, she says, I see you holding one of these babies in each arms. She says, they're, Blonde haired little girl, she said, with ring with ringlet type hair. She said, chocolate brown eyes and dimples. And she said, and, and also that they resembled her. And she said, Well, that's nice, but you know, that's not gonna happen. So the lady passed away. Six months later, again, I see this young woman come in because now her uncle's had a hip replacement, so he's on the unit, you know, having um being watched over for a little bit, and then her own father went through. So I got to see her a couple of times, but when she came in, she had a baby bump Hmm. and I'm like, I'm like, no, it turned out that she was pregnant, but didn't know it. She was very early pregnant. Didn't know it with identical twin girls. And lo and behold, I got to see them when she had shortly after she had them. I got to see them when they were toddling. And again, one more time when they were like maybe about four years old and they did They had blonde curls, big brown eyes and dimples. And as they got older, they did look more like the mom. So these, you know, these people, when they do this rallying, they come back with information and you can learn so much from someone that is actively passing. If you can get past the grieving, this is not the last time you're going to see these people. Mm -hmm. You will see them again. If you can just kind of think of them as more on vacation, you know, and that you are going to see them again. My mom, it's funny because she comes through every once in a while, like a megaphone. Wow. (laughs) I remember, (laughs) I remember her coming in. She used to make the, um, the turkey every year at Thanksgiving for for our Thanksgiving holiday here in America. And, um, she passed away in July I'm sorry and, to hear that. Yeah. So when, when uh, that's okay. I, she, to me, she's not really dead because, you know, she's still so much around me. Yeah. I just, I feel her so strong. So, and that reminds me, t- remind me to tell you about the pack too, that we made. Um, so she comes in and I, so now making the turkey falls on me and I've never made a turkey before. So I'm, you know, got my Google out, her voice come through like a megaphone, like she's standing right next to me. Don't forget the aluminum foil. (laughs) And I'm like, I'm not going to put aluminum foil. I want one of those nice brown turkeys like the kind they have on TV. Well, lo and behold, I found out without the aluminum foil that my breast burnt and my legs were raw. (laughs) So we we ended up having hamburgers for for Thanksgiving. That's funny. because I ruined the turkey. And of course, I had to apologize and say, Mom, I should have listened. I'm so sorry. But months, a- months after that, I remember I was making um, uh, a recipe that she had of her brownies. And I said, Mom, gosh, don't you ever miss the taste of your potato? She had this unique recipe for potato salad, too. I said, your potato salad and your brownies and your 
barbecued ribs that you used to make. And uh, she comes through like a megaphone and she says, well, here we don't eat. And I said, well, yeah, I, I yeah, no, yeah, I know you don't eat. She says, but we do everything by thought. She said, if we want to go somewhere, we think of it and we go. She says, if we want to be with someone or your thoughts are coming to us that we feel it, we go or we come to you. She said, and the thing about eating, she says, is here we don't eat. She said, but if we think about the food item that we enjoyed in that lifetime or another lifetime for that matter, she said, the flavor and the sensation of eating it comes to us as if we are eating it. And I thought that was amazing because I thought, well, wow, wouldn't that be a great thing here? We could eat anything we want and not have the calories, you know? <laughs> so, but, um, but she told me that. And I'm like, then it puts the two and two together with the cloth that I saw on the table and no food kind of thing. And it kind of brings all of that together. But speaking of um, things to my mother and I during that year of time that she was um, checking off her bucket list, we made a pact and you can make a pact with people, even though they've crossed over, you can still make that pact with them um, by choosing a symbol or something that they can show you like a ladybug that you see, say for instance, during the winter months when it's not even supposed to be there, but it can also be a picture of one that you come to. My mother had beautiful pearlescent white hair that um, that was very, very long. And I asked her, I said, Mom, you know, life is so stressful. And there are some times, you know, when you come, I want to make sure that I know you're there. Would you please leave me one of your hairs? So that was our agreement. So when my mom passed away, the day of her funeral, I, I ran myself a bubbly bath. And when I came in to get in the bath, one of her long hairs was laid lengthwise on top of the bubbles. To this day, I kid you not, I am still finding her hairs. I've moved. Yeah. I have a car she's never been in. <laughs> and I actually found one of her hairs this past Thanksgiving laid across one of the chairs in my dining room. I thought you were going to say the turkey. <laughs> no, no. That, oh, my goodness. That would be funny. But the thing was is that um, there – Oh my gosh, I had gone back to school to further my degree, as I had mentioned before, and I had gone to the school bookstore. I was in a car that my mother had never been in. I was living in a home that she had never been in. And I had gone to the school and I had gone straight to the bookstore. I had uh, bought this uh, three-week binder and this these loose-leaf papers that were supposed to go in it for the class. Went to the register, paid for them. They bagged them for me. I took them to my car, drove straight over to the school, went straight into my desk. And that day we were having a test. And this class was so hard. I'd made a C on the first test, so I had to do really well on the second one. It was only two tests for the whole class. You got kicked out. So the stress was on. So I'm sitting at the desk and I pull the three ring binder out and the loose leaf papers out and I open it. And in, and I, I would fight God for my children. I don't know what mother or parent would not have. If God came and said, I'm taking your kids, we would definitely have to talk about that. Yeah. You know, and I, I'm sorry, but I, he would have a hard time taking your, taking mom's kids. So, um, but I swear on my children's lives for anybody that what I'm telling you is the truth. You can believe it or not. This was very comforting to me. When I opened that three-ring binder in the center ring, looped in the teeth of that binder, 
was one of my mother's hairs. There is no way, no way that Mm -hmm. it could have gotten there. Now, maybe it was a fluke thing. I don't think so, but it brought comfort to me. And it was looped and just held in those teeth of that center ring. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, and like I said, I'm still finding her hairs everywhere, but people can, they can move things. They can move feathers. They can move cards. They can turn around things. They can open and close doors if they want to. Usually they don't do the creepy stuff. Like some of the, you know, some of the, the ghosts, their dreams, they're very gentle when they do come. And it's usually a very, very warm reunion, something very welcoming and, and comforting. It's never something scary. But if you have your doubts, if you're, you know, if you want to have that connection, but a lot of times people, they want to have that connection. And then when they get the connection, they get scared of it. So if you can have them leave symbols, but you pick one thing and you have that be your symbol, whether it's a, an eagle flying over and that counts if it's an eagle on a picture or a back of a card or, or on a piece of money that you notice just all of a sudden is to let you know that they are there with you in that moment, that they are present with you at that time. And like with the test and the thing, it was very, very comforting to me. I got to make that pact with my mother before she crossed over. Um, but you can still make it with them because they can hear you. They can hear, they, when they cross over, they, they keep all of their senses. They can hear you. They can, t- they, you, know, they can you know, they can see you. All of those things still come into play. But um, they can hear you talking just like I'm talking now to, you know, to, and the people can hear me and that I'm talking to you, they can hear you the same way. And, um, it, sometimes people need something more concrete and solid to really not doubt themselves. Oh, I think I felt her, but I'm not sure because they expect something more solid, but if they have that symbol, that is, that's concrete, Mm -hmm. you know, for them to, to make that, um, you know, that connection with, but um, there was another thing that I had mentioned to you about, I wanted to share with you about when souls have the opportunity, uh, when they, they, they uh, are transitioning to either cross over or not. A lot of times there are souls that do not cross over. Um, they choose not to cross over. A lot of times it's religious-based. Maybe they don't feel worthy. They're afraid to cross over because of, of religious teachings that have led them to believe that they're going to die in the fires of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, or maybe they're taking care of a pet or maybe a child or a parent and expect those people to, to cross over first and then they don't. And, and so they kind of linger to still continue to to watch out for the, thing, the, the person or pet. And then when the pet or the person passes over, they get anchored here, they get lost, they kind of lose their connection. Most of the time when you see spirits, they're looking forward side to side or down, but they're not looking upward. If they look upward, they reconnect with the cord that they lose by by being here a while, it kind of fades after time, but they can reconnect with it, it just directly connects, and then you'll just see them poof and disappear, you know, that they'll go and cross over. But I had... Um, I, again, I was working, had my med cart in front of a room. A lady, uh, it was a lady, again, that was actively passing. I was in front of her um, with my med cart getting ready to give her something to, to help make her more comfortable. And I see this spirit, because a lot of times when someone's crossing 
spirits that are lost souls here will come forward too, just out of curiosity to watch because they can see all the angels and the loved ones coming in. And this was a gentleman. I call him Dapper Dan because he was a handsome man. He, he, his clothes um, appeared to be like in the 1800s. You could tell that he had money, not, not a lot of money, but he still was dressed nice, like maybe upper middle class of what he was buried in. When souls don't cross over and I see them, they still show up with the cause of death. Um, in his case, he had a Swiss cheese appearance to his abdomen area, which to me indicates a corrosive disease, like maybe cancer or cirrhosis of the liver was the cause of death um, with him. I mean, he had his clothes on and he's peering out from the side of this pillar in this sitting room area across from where I was at. And I'm kind of like, hi, <laughs> you know, and he's literally looking over his shoulders because this man's probably been dead for a hundred years and nobody has talked to them or if they do see him, they run off screaming. So, and I'm like, I'm like, no, you, you, you there, you, 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 sir, you know, there. And he kind of realizes that I'm talking to him. This look comes over his face, a little bit of confusion. And I'm like, why haven't you crossed over? You know, and he kind of walks towards, but he's in my peripheral vision so I can see him because he's coming up to the side of, comes closer to the side of my, my, my medicine, my, um, my med cart. And I said to him, I said, you know, this lady over here is getting ready to, to cross over. I said, I can help you cross over if you want to go. You don't want to go alone. You might be able to tag with these people. Not that they have to, but I just yeah. didn't, you know, I didn't want to feel that he had to go by himself. I said, but, um, you know, I can, I can help you. And he's just kind of looked at me and I said, and not only that, I said, not very many people can see you. I said, so this is like a once in a century deal. I said, I can help you cross over. I said, you, you, you know, so that you can go on and find your loved ones. And he had this very, very heavy Irish brogue. Um, and he said to me, he said, me lady, he said, I can't cross over. I'm like, oh yeah, sure you can. You can cross over. Why can't you cross over? He said, because my wife and my mistress are on the other side and neither <laughs> one knew about the other. So here this, here this spirit has been earthbound all this time because he didn't want to have to cross over and be confronted by his wife and his girlfriend about the fact, you know, and I even tried. I said to him, I said, look, I said, you know, they already know. They know now. Yeah. I said, but they're probably not even there anymore. I said, they could have even come back a couple of lifetimes. You know, they probably are not even there anymore. And things are looked at differently there once you get there on the other side. And he just kind of faded. He kind of um, just faded away and, and he was smiling, but I never saw him again. So I don't know if he crossed over or, or what happened to him. But I thought that it was funny that, I mean, you know, um, you know that he that he was stuck here because he didn't want to get, you know, yeah. get in trouble. So, but but there are there are different reasons that they do stay here, and a lot of times it's, it's stuff you know like that 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 makes them um, end up staying here. Awesome. So yeah, but um, I with that I I've, I've um, yeah my I've been able, I'm so thankful to have these gifts to be able to help people. And um, I, I don't consider myself a psychic, although I've had a friend, Katie Turner, tell me that I yep. need to start giving readings. But I, I'm, I 
I admire her so much and she's so amazing and so good. She I is. just, unless I could be as good as her, then I would do it. But I don't feel that I'm quite at that level. Um, you know, of that, and I, and I don't want to, I'm so afraid of telling somebody the wrong thing or misleading them, you know, cause in life, especially when you're reading, everybody wants to know about their love life. But when you're dealing with two people, that freedom of choice, I mean, it may originally look like it's going to work out that way, but the other person can make a decision to go left and then it doesn't happen. Mm -hmm. So, and then it, you know, you, then, then it, you know, it kind of falls back on you as being somebody that doesn't know what they're talking about. But, um, yeah, I've, um, I've, I've had so many, many stories with, with being, you know, in hospital care and end of life care and people passing over. And I really hope that this conversation and the book that I have out and I'm not, and again, it's not about the book and the money. You can read my book on Amazon for free. Okay, it's being posted on free. If you've got Kindle, you can read it for free. I, can, I sell them on my website. I would appreciate it if you want to buy them from my website. It's www.lynnmonet.com um, because then the proceeds go to me and not Amazon. Amazon's kind of taking the books and running with them. But um, it is on, on Amazon. Um, some of my books are being sold through my website only because, um, yeah, I'm hoping that they'll make a wonderful movie someday. But um, so the, some of those things, you'll see that there are books that you cannot find on Amazon that are solely on my website that you can also purchase on there. But um, I'm really, really hoping that, um, especially the, the book, The Colors of Heaven, brings comfort and to people that have maybe been recently diagnosed with, say, terminal illness, or people that have recently lost someone to help them. And the unique thing also about my books is in the back of every book is a self-help section with every book. Um, first book, how to determine whether you have ghosts in your house that you do yourself. So you don't have to, you know, have anybody come in nice. and charge you, which most people, most people shouldn't charge you. No. The second book has how to clear out a soul with negativity, but doesn't talk about how to clear a demon. Cause that's, that's a whole nother gamut. Yeah. Um, the book colors of heaven gives you some good information. Like for instance, never, ever, ever sign for anybody in a hospital setting, except for yourself and a child under age 18. Do not sign for your husband, your brother, your mother, nobody. You sign for yourself because the person that signs gets stuck with the bill. I don't care what they tell you. Oh, no, that won't happen. You have no recourse when that person passes away and you start getting these bills and that have now transferred into your name. Mm -hmm. So it's just better to not let anyone sign for you. You sign for yourself to not sign for anyone else. Even if you go in with somebody that has, that's puking in a bucket, move the bucket, hand them a pen quick and wish for the, wish for the best. A verbal acknowledgement for treatment in front of two hospital employees is the same as a signature. So you are not obligated to do that. Those people, they will walk out and if the mailman's standing there, they'll have him sign it if he's willing to. They just want that signature. If you are a power of attorney, you still do not sign unless the person is incapacitated and unable to speak for themselves. The power of attorney and healthcare power of attorney is simply a piece of paper that means nothing 
unless that person is unable to speak for themselves or they're in a comatose state, they're not able to, you know, make their need, their needs known. Also, I wanted to make mention, Lynn, in the back of the book, there is a packet called Five Wishes. You can do your own healthcare power of attorney and have the person put their end-of-life directives on there, and all you need is a notary. That's all the expense that you have. It's free otherwise, and it will stand in a court of law as a legal document that you can do that. You don't need an attorney to do that. So you can save a lot. There are a lot of things in the back of the book that explain how to save money for those things. It talks about being sure to have a checking account that says and and not or, because if it's or, it will shut it down and your loved one won't have access to your funds, you know, or funds to sustain themselves in life, which you'll want them to do. So it's got a lot of things like that. I mean, I'm not telling you not to pay your hospital bill. I'm just telling you not to get stuck with somebody else's. So you know, do pay your hospital bill. But I've seen so many people in my profession that people, they're not even able to afford their own life-sustaining medications because they're still paying for their mother or sister brother's funeral expenses. You know, they're making those monthly payments. It's like, why are you paying for that? You know, their hospital expenses, why are you paying for that? Mm-hmm. You know, it goes into also the options of cremation and burial. Cremation, where you go to be cremated where the funeral homes send their clients out to be cremated so that you skip that middleman and you can pay that cost, but not the additional thousands that's added on through a funeral home type thing. I mean, there are a lot of things that people don't realize that are options with, with death and dying and medical expenses that, um, and I'm going to say this too, and I, and this is an American law, um, but it might be very much similar in Canada um, I'll say when my father passed away, my, my stepmother, well, it would be my stepmother. It was his bride that he had been married to from Russia. He lived those 10 years longer and he got everything in order for her. Um, it's, it's a good idea. He had the life insurance policy, who the agent is to speak to, what the phone number is to call, as well as his retirement papers, his social security, the phone numbers and who to call, you know, what the uh, password and the, where the key is to the safety deposit box. All of these things he had listed out for her, including phone numbers and contacts. These things are so important, especially when somebody is in a state of grieving. They can be taken advantage of very, very easily. Um, so it's very, very important to do these things. A lot of times, too, um, you know, with when my father passed away, my the bills started coming in for his expenses. Now, he had even at one point had a feeding tube put in. He allowed his wife to choose whether she wanted him to go pass when his time came or to try to save him. And of course, she was in a different frame of mind than my father was or the rest of us were. And she wanted to try to save him because to her, the finality of life was ending at that point. So he had huge expenses um, at the end. And when the bills started coming in, she was afraid. I mean, they were living on their retirement. But of course, you know, her house was paid off and things like that. But these huge bills she couldn't afford on her retirement and Social Security. So she went to an attorney in Florida and asked him, she said, how do I pay these bills? They're going to take my house. They're going to take my this. They're going to take my that. And he said, 
did you sign anything? And she said, no. He said, nothing, no discharge papers, no admission papers, no no freedom to treat papers, no surgery papers. She said, no, my, my husband did all of that. My father signed all of those papers and wouldn't allow her to sign. And he said, well, this is what's going to happen. You're going to get a bill in 30 days. You're going to get another bill in 60 days. You're going to get another bill in 90 days. And then it's going to get turned over to a collection agency and it's going to ruin your husband's credit. But your husband's dead. Yeah. She never paid a dime. Wow. And, and again, I'm not saying don't pay your bill, people. I'm not saying don't pay your bill, but try not to pay somebody else's. Yeah. Because really, they don't, they want you to have the money here. They don't need it in heaven. They want you to have it here. They know that it's something that's necessary here for us. And they don't want you to have to, you know, have those extra expenses for them. So please, please, please keep that in mind, that that's a very important thing that I hope will help a lot of people. But there are little things in there like that. At the end, um, there are self-help that people may not even think of, that they that are important things that they should know, so that they don't look down from the heavens and see their family suffering over something or trying to make a decision for them that that they could have easily have made for themselves and let it be known. So yeah, that's valuable information. Thank you. Before before we go, could you mention the names of your books again and any place else that people can find you? Okay. Um, I have a website called lynnmonet.com. Um, I also have a new podcast, Tuesday nights, um, 8 o'clock Eastern time for two hours. It's called Synchronicity, putting, um, I'm sorry, adding pieces to the puddle, uh, a puzzle, not puddle, puzzle. <laughs> My mouth is a little dry, so I'm talking funny. Um, and um, also, I'm co-hosting on Journey Through the Gate with Cisco. The last I love Sunday, Cisco. Of, yes, isn't she wonderful? Oh, tell her I said hello. I will. The last Sunday of every month, I'm also going to be on with her with Nathaniel Gillis. He's a demonologist. Coming up, not this Sunday. Next Sunday, I'll be co-hosting with her. So I'll be on twice with her this month. Um, she is amazing. So I can also be found there. Um, I do have. Five books. One is just coming out of editing and will be released probably in about it within another month. I have Omnipresent, which is the story about the haunted house that was so haunted I was never able to move into. That can be found on Amazon and all over Barnes and Noble, everywhere they have it. Again, I would really like it if you buy it through my website because Amazon's kind of really taken off with that book and uh, not left much behind with it. Take a big chunk, yeah. Yeah, huge. And so does everybody else um, that they sell it to. They get their chunk, too. And then there's not much for the author. And again, it's not about the money. But if you, you know, I would like to think if you're going to read the book that you would like to see the benefit go to the person who had the the experience. Exactly. So the second book is called it's part of the omnipresent series of which is going to end up being five books. Um, The third one in editing is the third one. But the second one is omnipresent. What happened next? It takes up where the haunted house left off, what happened afterwards um, with the people that I sold the house to, me getting in touch with the family that sold it to me, and their children being attacked. It then goes in also to the part about mental illness and schizophrenia and attachments in the book as well. 
Um, I then just recently released The Colors of Heaven, Beginnings Never End, which is the, the story um, of my mother's passing, as well as these stories that I've experienced as a nurse for 37 years and 17 years of that being an end-of-life care, hoping to bring some comfort. Um, the fourth book is not really paranormal-related. It's called The Gap. I had uh, two therapists recently. They knew that I was an author, approached me, and kind of, you know, I also have a child at that age that, uh, you know, everything's changing with all of the, the, um, the new generation of gender blurring and all of that sort of thing. Um, the book is actually written gender neutral, so it, everyone will read it um, and, and, and hope that they get a lot of good things from it. But it kind of leaves off, it's not about sex and the birds and the bees, it leaves off with the birds and the bees and kind of picks up where the human trafficking part is. So it goes into a lot of detail, like, um, like I, I like to mention, you know, don't wear stinky sneakers on your first date because there's nothing, you know, attractive, no matter how beautiful or cute you are about stinky, being stuck with stinky sneakers in a car. Also, you know, what to do if a condom breaks. It talks about, um, it shows um, how to get in and out of a trunk from a backseat into a trunk and from a trunk into a backseat if ever you end up in a trunk mm -hmm. um, or a backseat, how to get into the trunk and then how to find that the uh, tie iron to whack somebody over the head with when they open the trunk. Mm -hmm. um, also how to poke out a, a, uh, a rear light, how to find it. And also the buttons that are the automatic trunk releases. Every trunk in the newer cars, like built the last 15 years, have releases inside of the trunk that will open the trunk from the inside. Yes, yes. So I have pictures of those in the book of either a button or it looks like a T and you pull it and it will automatically um, open the trunk for you as well as um, it talks about, you know, making good choices with friends even, you know, you know, don't get into a car with, with somebody that has drugs on them because if you get into an accident and that person's got drugs on them, you're held responsible for the drugs too, yeah. even if you aren't using them. And of course, you're going to stand there and say that they're not mine, but so's the person with the drugs. Yep. No, it's not mine. So you're going to end up being held equally responsible. Choose your friends wisely. Know who you're shopping with in the store. You know, if a friend comes up to you and hands you a purse and says, oh, gee, I've got, and this happened. This is actually in the book. This actually happened to me. I had a friend that was a roommate of mine. We were in JCPenney's store. I was in line to pay for a shirt. She brought up a purse that she wanted and said, my stomach's upset. I'm going to go to the bathroom and then go to the car. Would you pay for this for me? She handed me the money to pay for the purse. I said, oh, okay. Fortunately, I was like two people back from the, cash, the cashier and the cashier saw her handing me the purse. Thank God. So I got up to the register and of course I go, I pay for my shirt and then I go to pay for her purse and they open the purse to take the paper out and to check to see if anything's in it. That purse was filled. It had cosmetics, costume oh, jewelry, wow. two shirts inside of it that, she, that were her size that she had put in there. And I just about died. And I'm like, that, that's not mine. I, you know, I had no idea that, that that was even in there. And the lady, of course, knew that because she saw yeah. the girl come up and hand it to me. So I emptied the purse out on the counter. I paid for it. I put it in the bag, took it to the, to the car, handed the bag to my friend. And my friend immediately opens the ba bag, 
to find her stuff inside. And she says, where's all my stuff? (laughs) Needless to say, we didn't stay roommates and that kind of ended a friendship. But you've got to be careful with those kinds of things. And um, it talks about, you know, even how to say, like if somebody comes up to you to borrow money, what to say? Oh, well, I can't lend you money, but I can help you in another way. It gives them actual things that they can say so that they can set healthy boundaries and not allow them to be crossed and not have to be uncomfortable or make up a lie or something to say to a person. It actually says, in a situation like this, this is what you can say. This is what you can say. And it gives you multiple things. So it's a good tool for um, children. That is um, um, all that one I am going to be selling through Amazon because I really don't have the market for it with the paranormal. And I really want it to get out there because I think it's, it's useful and it will help a lot of people during, you know, with kids uh, that age, it's called the gap, what else your adolescent and teen needs to know. And then I have the third book of omnipresent um, that is good. That is in editing right now. It's called one eleven Becca Don drive. And it is a story. And all of my stories are true stories. Um, It is a story about a townhouse complex that I moved into briefly, go figure, had to go through the haunted thing twice, but actually had to live in this one, where they were side by side. And I have a picture of a ghost that was naked that was going from townhouse to townhouse pulling down women's underwear during the night time. Oh. I kid you not. And um, so that that's what this story is about and how I actually learned to seal off my townhouse so that even after, because when townhouses and apartments they're all together so when you go into clear they can dart into the other houses you know and and then come back and or upstairs and downstairs kind of thing too so i had a method to seal the the with the corners and the walls so that they couldn't enter back into mine after having to to remove them um from from my place but everybody else was being affected by them. We actually even got together, you know, when we started talking to one another, the neighbors started talking and like, you're kidding. You know, that happened at my house and da, 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 da. But um, so that is an interesting book as well. And that one will probably be out in about a month or so. Sounds very interesting. So thank you so very much for being on here. I really enjoyed this. Uh, It's almost been two hours. I can't believe that much time has come back. I do hope you'll come back again. I would guest. love to. I, I would, would love too. to. Yeah. Oh, and I'm so thrilled that you asked me. Thank you so very much. I send love and light out to all of the listeners. Uh, definitely subscribe and give this a thumbs up. Don't forget to do that because this, this precious lady, um, she's bringing you a lot of wonderful things. And um, thank you so much thank for you. having me. Thank yes. you. Yes. And thank you, Al, for recommending another great person. Yes. Al Santa, Santa, Santa Riga. Riga, yeah. Love you, big Al. Well, we've made it to the end of another episode. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, take care of each other. And if you'd like to be on the show or have questions and comments, just drop me an email, paranormalheart13 at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you.
Paranormal Heart would like to extend a special thank you to PurplePlanet.com for supplying the music for the show. The views and opinions expressed on Paranormal Heart are those of the host and participants, 